Thank you for downloading this message from Grace Christian Fellowship. We pray that you receive encouragement from the study of God's Holy Word and that you will grow in the faith and understanding of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, hello, everybody. And it's good to be invited back into your homes. It's good to be together-ish. Although I'm still really looking forward to the time we're all together in person and we're meeting together for live meetings and services and lunches. I'm grateful that we're still able to connect this way. And thank you, worship team, and for the announcements that we just heard and all the effort that went into that. And, uh, and you know, before I get in the message, I'm wondering if you find as you're sitting at home all this time to think about, you know, whatever stuff that you maybe didn't think about before, you know, the random things in life. For example, what are some of the best things about Switzerland? You know, the country Switzerland. There's a lot of good things about Switzerland. What are the best things? What's the maybe the very best thing of Switzerland? See, this is the kind of stuff I think about. Hmm, what is the best thing? Well, I think that I can't come up with the best thing, but their flag, that's a big plus. Okay, that was really bad. I know it. I just had to share it. <sighs> this time, this time sitting at home and thinking and all of the things that we have to do in life from our home uh, certainly is a unique time. But all right, let's hit the word. We're going to go into it. And if I can, I want to recap a little bit about last week and actually the last several weeks. Uh, for some time now, we've talked about um, this idea of, of not just surviving, but thriving. And even in that, in this message, kind of the sequencing of uh, the topic, we've, we had um, Passover in there and we had Resurrection Day in there in kind of this journey. And then as I talked about last week, we were in the season of the counting of the Omer. And this goes back to Leviticus 23, where uh, for 49 days, seven weeks with seven days in each week, 49 days, we are to the Israelites were told to always to count that that time in the field and that the produce and the wheat, so to speak. And this is a very high level look at it. And uh, but to do this for 49 days. And, and this was part of this mental journey, among other lessons that come from counting the Omer. This is part of a learning that it was to go from slaves where things weren't their own or it didn't belong to the nation, so to speak, to not just uh, surviving anymore, but now thriving as an independent people or, or you know, dependent on God, but independent from that time in Egypt and Every time we go through the counting of the Omer season, that's one of the things we think about. And it's in this season that we know that Jesus actually rose from the dead. So the disciples would have been counting Omer. They would have been thinking of this mental journey of going to uh, from survivalists to thrivists, so to speak. And that's when he rose. And last week was we celebrated kind of that one week after Resurrection Day. This week, it's two weeks, of course, after Resurrection Day. And, and, and just after uh, Passover, a week after Passover ends-ish. And, uh, and there's still, if we imagine those disciples, we can still think of the amazing experience they had with the Lord back then. Uh, as he was risen and as he was uh, sharing and teaching and healing and he was uh, visiting spots and, and visiting his people before he ascended once and for all. Um, so what a time that was. And we talked specifically last week about how th they must have, those disciples must have felt when they prayed. 
in a time where so much was going on uh, with Jesus and so many, so much of their world has just exploded uh, with new perspective and new life and new excitement um, and seeing their risen Savior, what were their prayers like? And, and we talked about pr- us, ourselves, praying boldly as we think of these things. And it's so easy to think that with the miraculous moves of God, we can be launched and catapulted, catapulted into new exciting times. Okay, now we pause. The other side of the coin is, even though we're in this season going from a, a surviving mentality to a thriving mentality, and even though we think of the resurrection, and even though we think of all of the excitement that was going on at that time, there was also at that time doubters. So here in this powerful era, I mean, condensed period of time, all kinds of moves of God are happening. Big, big, big moves. There's doubt going on. How can doubt exist while all this other amazing stuff is going on? How can that happen? It doesn't make sense. Doubt. I would like to speak a little bit about doubt this morning. And as I was putting the message together, I kind of, I had one of those, I'm looking at my notes and I'm writing things down and I think I'm going to speak on doubt. And then I stopped and I thought, ah, doubt, that's a depressing message. Well, thanks a lot, Buzzkill. You know, and I'm thinking, what, I'm writing a real downer message. But doubt is a big deal. And I think it's one of those uh, quiet sufferings that people often go through on their own without telling other people, other friends that believe that they're going through it. And and they, they try to figure it out on their own. And we see it all through the Bible, this different forms of doubt. For example, uh, Genesis 18, Abraham um, he has this, he's literally with the angel of the Lord and he, uh, the angel of the Lord tells him, you, you know, you're going to have a baby. Sarah's going to have a baby and Sarah's in the other room. And we know that she hears this and she laughs in her heart and the Lord approaches her and said, you laughed. And she said, no, I didn't. He said, yes, you did. So here's this, um, the angel of the Lord shows up and says, it's going to happen. Clearly, there's an element of, 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 of a question going on in Sarah's mind. I'm over a certain age. You know, I, I, how can this be me? We think the Lord can do anything he wants. So this miraculous event happens in Abraham's life, Abraham's life, but yet there's still a form of a doubt connected to it. And of course, God follows through with his word. She has Isaac and the story is good. What about this? Another expression of doubt. This is another theophany, another time where the angel of the Lord shows up to Gideon. And he tells Gideon, I'm going to use you to to free uh, my people from the Moabites. And Gideon's, you know, okay, uh, if it's really you, show me a sign. Hello, you're with the angel of the Lord. Are you kidding me? You want a sign and you're with the angel of the Lord? So even then he wanted a form of proof. What should have been an amazing moment in Gideon's life, he still needed a form of proof for this. Um, another, another question uh, we see in scriptures, Jacob wrestles with God. It's another theophany, uh, and the, 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 the Lord shows up in a, in a human form, and he's wrestling with Jacob and wrestling Jacob with Jacob. Now, we don't specifically know that Jacob has a doubt here, but what we do know, or what we could use our reason and our common sense for, I've got to think at some point in the night, Jacob is wondering as he's grappling and wrestling and grappling for hours, right? We believe it's hours that this is going on. 
Do you think Jacob ever wondered, what on earth is going on here? Why am I wrestling with the Lord? I can't, I've got to think his mind had, had clarity at some point. And that would pop in there. It's an amazing event. I can't imagine what he was thinking. So then we see more. There's even more. Uh, for example, John the Baptist, he baptizes Jesus and he sees the dove come from heaven and the voice, this is my son, and I, I, I'm pleased with him. And, uh, and, and later John is captured and he's in prison. It's before he's beheaded. And he sends his disciples to Jesus to, say, are you, to ask him, are you the one? Hey, John, don't you remember the other experiences? Powerful miracles. But yet you still wanted verification that Jesus was the one. And you knew he was the one. You had said earlier, John, that you yourself recognized that he was the one. So even then, there was a form of questioning going on with with him. Uh, Another example, Israel and the golden calf. Moses is on the mountain getting some of the law, and and they see the clouds and and, and all of the action. And uh, the Lord had literally a physical manifestation in cloud form by day and fire by night. And at the time, the Israelites are watching this, and they're like, nah, well, he's been up there a long time. Let's just make a golden calf. Right under the presence, the manifestation of God. There's a form of doubt there. Now, my last one, and I'm not going to pick on this poor guy. I think he, uh, if you've been around for a while, you may have heard me speak about Thomas. He's referred to as Doubting Thomas. This is at the same time. It's a time of counting the Omer. And then, of course, uh, afterward, before he had seen him, he's still saying, I want to see him. We know the other disciples were locked in a room when they hear the story of the resurrection from Mary. They're locked in the room for fear of the Jews. There's a form of doubt there. They knew the scriptures. But yet there was still a, a, a form, a questioning that was going on in their, in their head. So we're in this season now, and we think it should be really wonderful for us to remember all the amazing things that God did. But I believe, I'm sure there's some people right now, and if it's not now, it's going to happen later on, that they stop and they'll think, well, okay, but then I don't understand why this is happening, and I'm really questioning what I believe over here, and I I wonder what I believe over there. And I'm calling that a form of doubt. And I, I don't know the right language. Maybe there's a better expression But I think the idea of a form of doubt seems to work. And I hope that you all understand what I mean by that. Form of doubt. I think the scriptures um, speak to this. And I believe that we'll pull out three forms of doubt that are prevalent uh, today. Number one, factual doubt. And this is one that uh, people seem to experience a couple times in their life, once before they come to faith, if they come to faith as an adult. If they come as a child, then they seem to experience this in their teenage or early 20s, teenage years, early 20s perhaps, but they do visit this. It's just a bit different than people who uh, come to accept the Lord as their Savior a little bit later in life. And this is, my, this is just my own uh, observation on this, but I do believe everybody goes through a form of factual doubt. And factual doubt to me is where uh, people want hard evidence that Jesus is the Lord, that God is God, that God made the universe, and they want hard proof. How do I know that this happened? And they'll go through a long list of things, hard proof things. Well, prove that the earth was made by God. Prove that uh, Jesus rose from the dead. 
there's a number of uh, different types of things they ask for. General questions are, one would be, is the Bible real? And this is a form of factual doubt that, that believers will search out sometimes. Is the Bible real? Um, I believe that it is. There's lots of manuscripts that we, we know, of course, that go back uh, just after events happened. I mean, literally just several years after the events happened that are considered firsthand eyewitness accounts. Uh, there's archaeological evidence to scriptures. The existence of ancient Nazareth um, is one of the most recent things. There's uh, proof of one of Jeremiah's scribes, which is quite a powerful uh, archaeological discovery. There's uh, ancient, uh, well, the city of David, which is actually connected to, it's part of Jerusalem, but there's more evidence that the city of David, in fact, does exist according to biblical specifications. Um, and I could go on and on about some of the archaeological evidences that's there. Uh, the fact that we can look at over 40 authors, well over 500 years, uh, as they're writing their manuscripts out, and, and we can assemble all of those things and find a, a cohesiveness from one to another to another is powerful evidence. It really is powerful evidence. And if we just looked at just this, that aspect, that would bring credibility to the very uh, nature of the Bible being the Word of God. Another question that people will ask is proof of the resurrection. I won't spend a lot of time that here. If you want to hear some thoughts to that, and you haven't already listened to the resurrection message that I, that I preached on Easter, please do, um, because you'll hear some thoughts to that. There's lots and lots and lots of proof. And it's, it's funny to me that there's also proof recorded by historians who, first century historians who would have been alive at the resurrection time, but who they themselves don't believe Jesus is the Savior. And I think, well, if this guy rose from the dead after having been dead for three days, um, I would find that compelling to following him. <laughs> I think it's interesting that they didn't, in fact, follow him, but yet they write about the experiences. Another question that factual doubters uh, sometimes will ask is, the predictive prophecies of the Messiah. We know there's over 120 prophecies in the Old Testament talking about the coming Messiah and what he'll be doing and how he'll be described. Uh, some of them, for example, he'll be born in Bethlehem. Uh, he'll enter Jerusalem on a, on a donkey colt. You know, the, the fact that it's a, a donkey colt versus just a regular donkey. That's a, different, that's a different thing. And of course, we know he did that. His hands and feet are pierced. He's wounded in the side. There's no broken bones that would occur in his life. Uh, this is very important, actually, uh, for, for, many, uh, for many reasons. But it was prophesied, it was predicted that he would have these things. And we can go on and on and on. And uh, mathematicians talk about the, the likelihood of just, 50, I think, it's, it's 7 to 10 of these uh, all occurring for the same person, but there's over 120, and they say the mathematicians say it's so difficult to believe uh, the, the the math odds are astronomical that one person can have seven to ten of these fulfill seven to ten of these prophecies. But now we find that there's actually over 120, and it's just a uh, it's amazing. It's amazing these prophecies that that are then fulfilled before he ever dies. And of course, we know that he does die and he is resurrected. And we, we spoke, I spoke to that already. The factual doubters want proof like that. Some of them will search hard for things like apologetics, you know, things that will help explain some of these things. It's not apologetics that get us to the point of salvation with the Lord. It's our faith 
that gets us to the point of salvation in the Lord. And sometimes we have to decide, we have to step off kind of this idea that we understand everything and we just have to go by faith. But I do believe there's lots and lots of evidence for these things. Factual doubters uh, can be uh, pulled from. They, th- they can overstudy sometimes. And those are the ones who are usually pulled in too deeply to apologetics to really understand what they're looking for after a while. But many, in most cases, we find people who start to study and they come to the Lord. They go, wow, the more I study, the more amazing this is. And it's not uncommon to find somebody who is an atheist or an agnostic who will become uh, a believer and a follower of the Lord because of what they've learned as they've searched out for facts. <clears throat> there was a time, and I think this is a great story, very relevant for this message. Billy Graham was struggling. Now, this was, he was a young man in his 30s. He had already started traveling the world already been an evangelist, spoken in large venues with a number of people, was a president of a Bible college. I believe it was Northwestern in Minnesota. Um, He had lots of stuff going on. He had lots of shows and had gained some notoriety, had tent ministries where a number of people had discovered and uh, established relationships with the Lord. So he was really doing uh, very powerful work for the kingdom in his own right. But he had one of his friends who was also a pastor, started studying at Princeton. And as the more he studied at Princeton, the more his friends started to question. And he just got into academia. And he really thought, his friend really thought that academia was the answer. Uh, that academia really held that thought process and that pattern of academia really was, the, was something to build a good pattern on. It wasn't the Lord, and it wasn't the scriptures. That was nice stuff. But if we could just build on the thought process, then that would be good enough, and we could kind of attach to the Lord later on. And he told his friend Billy Graham about this, and he invited Billy to study more deeply. At the same time this was happening, uh, the school that Billy was a president of was considering going for accreditation. And in order to do that, Billy Graham would have to stop Uh, traveling and doing his evangelistic work, and he would have to start to study and and get advanced degrees on his own because the president of the university needed needed to have advanced degrees. And he didn't know what to do. He listened to his friend who he respected, and really he could go the academic route or not, and, and, and really have to rethink his whole ministry. And while this was going on, he himself was starting to go through some questions, some factual doubting questions. He was saying, I don't understand in the scriptures why it says this. I don't understand what that is. Is this actually what you're saying? Is this actually the foundation for what we're supposed to do? And even the great Billy Graham started to question some of these things. So he went to a place in California. He was invited to a speak at a retreat center in, I believe it's Forest Hills, California. And uh, as he was, he took his Bible and he went into this kind of woods area and he put his Bible up on a tree stump and he, he just, and he was just in anguish over what to do and over his own journey and his own certainty and, and these sorts of things. So as he decided to pray and he said, he, he hit this breaking point and he said, God, I don't have all the answers, but my faith is sure. And I believe that you're God. So I'm going to do what I believe that you would want me to do. And that's just tell more, more about you. So he finished that prayer, had his uh, meeting that he hosted, that he spoke to. 
But then from there, he exploded. His ministry exploded. And now, of course, we look back in his Billy Graham's life and we see that he spoke to over 210 million people in person. Uh, there's estimates of as much as 2.2 billion people were impacted by his ministry. We know at one point he even bailed out Martin Luther King from jail. He spoke in South Africa against apartheid based on the word of God. Uh, had great correspondence with Nelson Mandela on this. And we see this wonderful outpouring of love from Billy Graham. And it's a love that led literally millions to understand a relationship in the Lord and make connections to civil uh, and, and social, biblical social causes. What a life he had. But if he would have chosen that day when he put his Bible on the tree stump, if he would have chosen not to go with his faith, he would have missed out. We would have missed out. At least it's reasonable to believe that. So, factual doubting. And there's another uh, doubting that, a second type of doubting I want to look at today is, uh, I think probably the most common form of doubting. There's a man, and I, I quoted him several weeks ago, Gary Habermas, who is a uh, professor in uh, several uh, universities over the years, and uh, he's a theologian, um, quite, a, quite an exceptional uh, uh, man and, uh, of understanding, and, and, and his scholarly abilities are very, very high. He speaks to this second form of doubting a great deal, actually. And, uh, it, and it's, uh, he's done a lot of work on this, and I, I think he's on to something. I really do want to recognize that work. He's got very good work in this. But it's an emotional doubting. And, and again, I think this emotional doubting might be the most common of all doubting that believers will experience. And that's where feelings sometimes cloud our judgment. We don't feel like God's in our life. I don't feel uh, forgiven. I don't feel forgiven. Have you ever done anything in your life that you're like, you don't feel, you know, you, you wish you wouldn't have done it. And you, you ask for forgiveness. And, but you don't feel forgiven. You think, you know, you, you kind of feel like you're still under this thing that you did wrong, even though you've asked God to forgive you. Or, uh, I don't feel close to God. Uh, I don't feel saved. I don't feel special to God. Uh, I feel depressed. Uh, I'm waiting for this big light beam to come and zap me, so I don't feel depressed anymore. And because of that, because of these feelings, I wonder, what, I start to wonder what God's doing. I start to wonder what my place is in this. I start to wonder if I have value. Or you might wonder if you have value. You know, this type of thing, it's an emotional uh, issue, actually. It's not a logic issue. It's something that our emotions start to push us for and start to, to start to squeeze us into th to bad thinking. And, and it's actually, it's, um, <laughs> it's really unkind of our emotions to do this. But it, it's an emotional deal. The scriptures are really clear in this. Uh, we are to rein our emotions in. So Romans 6 verse 12 says, don't let your passions lead you. And it's kind of a punch in the nose of your passions, our emotions. You know, we can't let them lead us. Uh, Psalm 37, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about the wicked schemes. In other words, don't, it's this emotional check again. Don't worry about it. Wait patiently. Psalm 56, 56 verses 3 and 4. But when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. I praise God for what he has promised. 
I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? This is, it, that's what it says. Why, I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? It's about faith over emotions and getting those emotions in check. And, the, and, and, and one other passage in this section, Philippians 4, verse 6, don't worry about anything. And this, this is a key word to me, this one word, if you can imagine circling this word, this is how I view this, I would be circling the word instead. Don't worry about anything, instead, pray about everything. So that's the anecdote. We've got worry coming on, okay, God, I know you're sovereign. I know you know more than I do. I need you now. I need you to do things. I need you all the time, but I really am looking for you to, to be my God in this. And we keep going back and we keep giving it to him. We keep giving it to him. We don't take it back on ourselves. Once we give it to him, we don't take the worry back. So people emotionally doubt. It's almost like they just let that emotion hijack reason, faith. And that's not a good, that's not a good mix. It's, it, it's not good to have emotions driving our decisions anyway, but it's particularly bad because it can really disrupt the relationship we have with the Lord. So much of what we do is a battle of the mind. and Our emotions can really get in there and hijack the mind. We have to remember, in this case for emotional doubt, it's about remembering the eternal perspective that God brings. Not the moment that we're in now. I think of the coronavirus. There are a lot of people I know worldwide who are probably very, very fearful of this. And that fear, for some of them, I'm sure, has disrupted daily living. They're more afraid than they are anything else. If a believer would be more afraid, then I would be very sad for them because they're missing the whole point that God does things on an eternal timeline. We have no reason to fear. Worst case scenario, we end up with them. Emotions, emotional doubt um, is by far and away the most common thing. And really to just deal with it, we have to look at who God says he is, who he says we are. We are his, we are chosen, we are being renewed or being remade in his, in the, in, in the image of the Savior. That's the stuff we have to get our head around. We have to train our head and our emotions will come along. We've got to train that and our, lot, and our faith is what, what will get us there. Walking that out. So the third and the final type of doubt uh, to kind of hit this morning is really more of a, a doubt of motivation. You know, imagine sitting on the couch. You're reclined on your couch. You're sitting back. You're thinking, I've got so much to do. I've got to mow the grass. Those dishes aren't going to wash themselves. Ugh. And you look over at those dishes, and you say, kids, go wash those dishes. No, I'm just kidding. You know, those things that you've got to do, that you're like, I don't want to get up and do that. Oh, man, I don't want to do laundry. I don't want to whatever. I don't want to go back to work. I don't want to do this. And the motivation is just kind of low to do things. And I believe that there's, this is a form of doubt. I think there's a lot of believers who are not motivated enough they don't think it's a bit it's a form of of doubt that causes them to lose the momentum of following god 
Oh, yeah, it's not going to be that bad when I go to Judgment Day. It's going to be a piece of cake. I'm just going to stand before God, and he's going to say, oh, yeah, okay, you're cool, go ahead. And they start to think that that's, it's going to be that easy. Or they start to think, yeah, yeah, I told somebody about Lord, uh, I think it was 19, uh, no, no, yeah, 2006, yeah, I'd pick and save, uh, I, I invited somebody to my church. So I got all that figured out. So their motivations kind of just ebb away. And they're like, I don't want to go through all that hassle. I got enough going on. And they forget. They forget the significance of the resurrection. And what it means to us, the fact that we're all going to be in heaven, but we've got things to do along the way. If we believe he rose, we have to, we have to believe that it's our job to tell people that he rose. They forget people who are um, uh, motivational or doubting like that. They're not motivated. They forget that we will, in fact, stand before God on Judgment Day. And we will have to account for everything that we've done. You know, I was thinking, I don't want to tell the Lord everything I've done. I don't want to have to explain it. I don't want to have to tell the Lord that time or I got mad at somebody driving by me or whatever else is in my life that you don't need to know about. I don't want to say that stuff. You probably don't want to have to say that stuff. And if we remember Judgment Day, that's highly motivational to crushing old doubt. I think it's important for us to remember that. Uh, Psalm 51 verse 12, uh, the psalmist writes, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. If we remember the joy of our salvation and what we've been saved from and what we have to look forward to, our spirit can be much more willing. If we start to think it's eh, not that big of a deal, that's going to slow us down and gum it all up. These kinds of doubts, they get us. They do. They get people. The motivational doubt's the kind that creeps up on you. The emotional doubt is the one that I think is most often. And that other doubt, that factual doubt, is one that seems to be the... uh, um, the most blatant. All through history, believers have faced different types of doubt. Sometimes we go through doubt naturally because we, we get older and different seasons in our life can cause us to re-question. Not doubt, but just re-question. You know, what I used to think of God when I was 10 years old, uh, I understood more when I was 20 years old that, there was a, that God is bigger than I thought when he was 10 But in order to get to that understanding, I had to realize that I needed God so much more in life. And then when I was 30, it happened again. When I had kids, when my kids got older, when my kids dated. So both of my my daughters, they dated guys. In the beginning, probably like most dads, I I doubt that any guy they date is going to be acceptable. But then as I get to know the guy, I'm okay. And in that beginning of the dating relationship, I questioned, okay, Lord, is this the one? How do I be a good father-in-law? How do I do my part? How do I whatever? So it causes me, those doubt seasons in my life have caused me to go back and really question God and search more for God. I don't think doubt is bad. And the fact that we go through it in different stages in our life, unexpected surprises like coronavirus or loss of jobs, they can cause us to question certain types of things. Grief, that emotion can really drive uh, um, uh, an emotional doubt. 
I don't think it's bad to request it. I think we just have to remember the base of it all. It's our faith. God has been faithful to us and he will be faithful to us. Sometimes we just don't quite understand how it goes and we have to remember that big, big picture of eternity is how he makes his decisions. It's not for the year 2020. It's for eternity and how he wants to develop us to his will. So the doubts themselves aren't bad. And the final picture I'll give is this. If you've gone camping and you've been in a tent and you have the wires for the tent, imagine if you haven't gone uh, camping, you can just imagine the, the ropes, the guide ropes for the tent are stuck in the ground with stakes. When a storm comes, it blows against the tent and one or two of the stakes or all of the stakes on, on a side might be loosened or might even come out of the ground. Well, that doesn't mean you just throw the tent away. It means you go out of the tent and you reset those stakes in the ground. You find a better, more firm piece of ground to reset them. Maybe you tie them to the stake in a different way. But you reset them. And when you're done and the storm's over, those stakes are set firmly in ground. They'll take another storm. They'll take whatever's going to happen because you've taken the time to reset them. You found that that old ground might need to be revisited. And doubt causes us a good, healthy revisit of some old ground sometimes. Just because we see God move doesn't mean that everything is, is, is rainbows for us. Sometimes when God moves, it causes us to question what he's doing. And just like the resurrection, there was all kinds of excitement for that, but there was also legitimate questions that had gone on. So in our walk with God, if we're going to go from that thriving, surviving to thriving mentality, we say, okay, God, when I start to wonder where you are, and I really, I really have to remember that I want to go to survive, from surviving to thriving, show me how to persevere to get to that. Show me how to persevere through the doubt that I would be better after I go through my questions, more effective after I go through my searches, so I can really thrive. So be blessed as you look to thrive. Now, some of you, you say, that's not me. My life is great. I don't have any form of any of these types of doubt that you talked about. Life is wonderful. Good for you. I think you're going to be there someday. And there are others of you, as I'm speaking, you go, yeah, that's me, but I don't want to tell anybody. I'm ashamed to tell anybody. Sometimes believers feel ashamed as they start to go through and question this type of thing. Don't be. It's all right. Many of our great heroes in the scriptures went through this. They just questioned and they waited on God. They remembered the order of it all. So hang in there. You're going to get through it. Talk to somebody. uh, Read your word. Hold on to faith like Billy Graham did. Hold on to it. And you don't have to have answers sometimes. Uh, We will get answers, although it may be in heaven. But hold on to what you know. And the Lord will just... Build a deeper and deeper and deeper and wider foundation of our understand your understanding in Him. So be blessed. Yevarechach Adonai vayish marecha. Yeir Adonai panav eliecha vihuneka. Yasei Adonai panav eliecha viaseim lacha shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. And Lord, I do pray for peace 
for all of my friends, for all of the people that are uh, watching today, for all of the people who are on the quest to find more of you, we pray for peace in their lives, wisdom for the life's decisions they have, safety and health, help with finances, Lord, all of these things that they can see the work that you do in their life, that they would be reaffirmed, that their, uh, they, their faith would be strengthened. Thank you, Lord, for this time and the great blessing that you bring to our lives and the great blessing that you've given us with each other. Thank you, Lord. So be blessed and have a good week. Thank you again for downloading and listening to this message from Grace Christian Fellowship. We are located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And if you are looking for a church to call home or would like to visit us for one of our services, please visit our site at gracecf.us for our location and service times. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and all peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit.